text for this morning's service is taken from Jeremiah 16, verses 10 through 12. <clears throat> Let's read that once again. When you tell these people all this, and they ask you, why has the Lord decreed such a disaster against us? What wrong have we done? What sin have we committed against the Lord our God? Then say to them, it is because your fathers forsook me, declares the Lord, and followed other gods and served and worshipped them. They forsook me and did not keep my law. But you have behaved more wickedly than your fathers. See how each of you is following the stubbornness of his evil heart instead of obeying me. After the preaching, we will respond by saying from hymn 55 to stanzas 1, 2, and 3. The text of this morning is somewhat unsettling, isn't it, brothers and sisters? Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior. It tells us about the sin of the fathers and how that led to the judgment of God. Jeremiah had to warn the people about the disaster that is about to come upon them. And that happened because the children followed the bad examples of their parents and did even worse themselves. From generation to generation, the sin had become more pronounced and more ingrained. And now the Lord God wants to give his people a strong warning. And you may say to yourself, well, why does this apply to us? Why do we have to hear about that? The message contained in the text is quite gloomy. And we are doing pretty good, aren't we? Just look at how alive and vibrant this church is. This morning we could hear the announcement that nine young people have expressed their desire to publicly profess their faith. We could also hear that office bearers have been nominated, indicating that the leadership in this church continues to go unabated. We're doing well. We're seeing lots of activity. We see even growth because we need even more elders and deacons than before. Yet, we have to be on our guard. Things are not perfect in this church. Actually, far from it. Some of the same sins that Jeremiah speaks about here can also be found amongst us. And so the Lord God, as he does all the time, calls us to faithfulness also today. Or else, he says, the same thing is going to befall you. And so we have to look at what happened to Israel and Judah so that this will not happen to us as well. We always have to be on our guard, brothers and sisters, young people. We have to continue to listen to the Lord our God. We can never sit back and rest on our laurels. And so we have to examine ourselves. And that's exactly what the Lord wanted Judah to do as well. 
And in order to do that, in order to get them to do that, he uses a prophet such as Jeremiah. Jeremiah wasn't given an easy task, as we could read from the passage. For Jeremiah, to bring that message meant a hard life. For not only did the Lord want Jeremiah to prophesy to Judah through words, but also through the very lifestyle that he was to lead. He is told to abstain from three ordinary things, things which you and I would take for granted. In the first place, he was not allowed to get married. He had to stay single. He had to remain a bachelor all of his life. He was not allowed to produce any offspring. And furthermore, Jeremiah was not allowed to enter a house of mourning either. He was not allowed to come with words of comfort for the dead. For there would be no consolation for the people. Even if a close relative died, he was not allowed to go to the funeral. And finally, Jeremiah could not go into a house of feasting either. And that would mean that Jeremiah was not permitted to go, any, to, go to any happy occasions such as weddings and birthday parties of relatives and anniversaries. From all those kinds of normal activities, he was ordered to abstain. Now, you can well imagine that that drew quite some attention to him, for that will have caused quite a stir amongst the people and caused them to talk. He made the people sit up and notice. And that's exactly what the Lord God had in mind, for the Lord wanted Jeremiah to be noticed. He wanted him to be the talk of the town. And the Lord God wanted the people to ask him questions about it. For because of, unusual, because of his unusual lifestyle, the people would ask him why he wasn't settling down with wife and children. And then he would have to tell them why that is so. I'm not allowed to get married and have children because the Lord told me that there is no longer any future for the children of Judah. And when they would ask why he does not go to funerals or to joyous events, he would also have to tell them the reason for that. There is no more comfort and there is no more joy in the land. And in this way, Jeremiah had to warn God's people Every time now that they see Jeremiah, they are reminded of the fate that awaits them if they do not repent. When they see him in the streets or in the marketplace or in the temple, then they would be reminded of God's warning. And the Lord tells the prophet that this is going to be so effective that the people will ask, why would God punish us in this way? What have we done wrong? What is the crime that we have committed? And so he shocks them with a the message that they are doing actually worse than their fathers 
and that God will punish them and their children because they have forsaken God and his law. And that's also the theme for this morning's sermon. And so we will see that he warns, first of all, the fathers, and in the second place, the children. First, then, we will see that he warns the fathers. What exactly does the Lord God warns the fathers about? Well, the text tells us, It is because your fathers forsook me, declares the Lord, and followed other gods and served and worshipped them. They forsook me and did not keep my law. The fathers forsook the Lord and did not keep his commandments. Two specific sins are mentioned here. The sin against the first commandment and the sin against the second commandment. Let me remind you what the sin against the first commandment is. It is that we are to have no other gods before him. You know that. In other words, it is the sin of idolatry. In this way, and in what way did the fathers during Jeremiah's day sin against that commandment? Well, they imported foreign gods. They did not worship the God of their fathers, the creator of heaven and earth. No, instead they worshipped man-made objects, gods made of wood and stone. That didn't seem harmless at first. It wasn't as if they completely did away with God. No, all they did was take over some of those heathen customs and practices. They still served Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of Judah. It isn't that they rejected him outright, so they thought. They only had those false gods on the side. But once you start backsliding and compromising a little bit, it usually goes from bad to worse. Slowly but surely, they took over some of the most horrible heathen practices over as well. And that's how it went from one generation from the next to the next. If a parent is unfaithful in one little thing, then the children will become unfaithful in even bigger things. Look at the nation of Canada today. Canada was once a Christian nation. But now look at the moral bankruptcy around us. That didn't happen overnight. Little by little, the authority of God's word was rejected. Churches became more social clubs than workplaces of the Holy Spirit. And now, by and large, the generation today totally rejects God's word and is even hostile to it. Just listen to the rhetoric of the politicians today leading up to the election tomorrow. That is the generation of today. It started with a little bit of idolatry. And then it went into full-blown idolatry. Of course, it is not so that people started carving little wooden gods or stone gods for themselves. Of course not. That's not something you do in this day and age. But that was a common practice during Jeremiah's day and throughout the Old Testament period. The people of Israel, God's covenant people, did nothing more than 
go along with the rest of the world. All the nations around about worshipped all kinds of man-made objects, and they put their trust in them. They thought that those little gods represented all the forces of nature, and that by worshipping them, they could manipulate them. And in this way, they could acquire happiness for themselves. God's people went along with those heathen practices. Isn't that what we are also prone to do? Are we not enticed to worship the same kinds of things as the people of the world? For what really is idolatry? Idolatry is idolizing anything but God or anything on the side of God. It is putting your trust in something else. It is being obsessed by it. It is trying to find your happiness through it. Parents, what are the idols in your life right now? What gods are you serving? What do your children and your grandchildren see when they look at you and your life? What do they see that drives you in your life? What makes you most happy? Is God more than anything to you? Or does God take somewhat of a back seat? Do you go after all kinds of other things in this life, success, popularity, materialism, and do they become so important to you that they take over your life? Is that what your children and grandchildren see? You see, we also tend to worship the gods of this world, including the god of materialism. We idolize those who are successful businessmen, for example. We tend to worship power and money and influence. These are all idols of the world, and we're all guilty, and we all need to repent. I do too, daily. And when the young people look at you, they will see you, they will notice, and they will emulate you. Oh, sure, they may not have the same kinds of idols that you have, but they will come up with their own. Each generation has its own idols, but ultimately it comes down to the same thing. It is to satisfy self to do what you like. And so the people were sinning against the first commandment, and then it went from bad to worse. There's a warning here for all of us. How do we worship God? Let's ask that of ourselves. Why do we worship him? And it is not out of compunction that you have to do so. There has to be a great joy in serving the Lord. Why? Because he has rescued us from sin and from evil. Through the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is nothing more joyful in the whole world than that. And that is why we have to worship him. And that joy 
has to be shown to the next generation so that they can emulate that. Parents were also guilty against sinning against the second commandment. And that sin has to do with wrong worship. It has to do with making images of God. To worship him in any other manner than he has shown in his word. The expression in the text about not keeping God's law here has to do with breaking God's covenant. God accuses the people of Judah that they are covenant breakers. Even though they pride themselves in being a covenant people. God accuses them of breaking the second part of the covenant. And that has dire consequences, he says. And what are those consequences? Well, the consequences will be that they are going to be thrown out into exile. As verse 13 says. But is that the main consequence? Oh, sure, that's one of the major ones. Jeremiah writes at the time in the northern kingdom had already fallen. And now the three world powers are fighting it out for supremacy. Assyria is about to tread Babylon underfoot. And Egypt is about to fight for its existence as a sovereign nation. And Judah now is only a pawn between those mighty nations. And it is the game plan of the king and the nobles of Judah to try to predict the winning side in the conflict. They do not give any thought to serving the Lord and leaving a repentant life. No, no, that's on the back burner. That's not so important. As far as they're concerned, how would that now stop the mighty armies of Assyria and Egypt? And that's the message that he also gave to Jeremiah. Do you think, Jeremiah, that at a time like this, at a time when you are courting the powerful nations, that now it is time to show that you are so much different than the other nations? Don't you realize it is a lot better to go along with the world? That is not just what the leaders thought, but that's also what the people thought. They were afraid of the mighty foreign armies that they would invade the land and that they would have to sacrifice their sons. And that's understandable during a time like this, isn't it? It's understandable that they were afraid. But brothers and sisters, and that includes you teenagers, boys and girls, what should they be afraid of more? Well, the people of Judah forget that the threat of the foreign powers, that that is not the ultimate punishment. And that's something we have to remember as well. We have to be afraid of something else. It is the fact that the Lord God not only blesses in the generations, but also that he curses in the generations. And the great punishment is not the wrath and the power of the world, but the wrath of God. The Lord punishes in the generations. That's what we also heard this morning when we heard the reading of the second commandment. 
For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. God curses in the generations. If the fathers sin, the children and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren will also be affected. And that's why you have to think about when you're single, whom you're going to marry. Well, you don't just marry a husband. You marry a father, a mother, a grandfather, a great-grandfather, someone with whom to bring up your children. God curses in the generations. You may say, well, that's not fair, is it? Why should the children suffer because of the fathers? But now I want you to remember that the Lord God does not make a covenant with individual people here and there. No, the covenant is always a matter of generations. God says, for example, to Abraham, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. The Lord God wasn't just interested in Abraham. No, he was especially interested in his offspring. And that's why we also have our children baptized. The covenant line is maintained by the Lord our God. He is not just interested in the fathers and the mothers, but he is interested in the whole generation. And that is why he charges the parents to bring up their children to fear him and to love him. The parents are to show the children what it is like to be a joyful covenant child. They are to be a role model to their children. And the Lord God gives the parents an awesome responsibility. They must teach their children to fear the Lord and to walk humbly with their God. They must teach them to keep the commandments, not just in word, but also in deed. And don't think that that's just the responsibility of the biological parents. No, he is speaking here about the responsibility of the whole church. It doesn't matter if you are married or single or are without children. All of you, all of us have a responsibility to the next generation. He holds all of us as covenant community responsible. All of you, for example, are responsible for the education of the children of the church. All of you are responsible as a role model. The fact is, everything you do rubs off on the next generation. If the older generation is lax, the next generation is going to be even more lax. Your lifestyle, your actions, your way of speaking influences the next generation of the church. If, for example, the parents do not show an example in their diligent attendance of the church, if they are lax, then the children are likely to follow in their footsteps and take it one step further. In the end, they may not go to church at all anymore. 
You see, that's Satan's game plan. He doesn't like it in the least if the parents are obedient to God. And so he works degeneration through the generations. And Satan is very skilled at that. He just keeps whittling away at it. If you are disobedient in a certain aspect of your worship, it is likely to be passed on to the next generation. Satan knows that. And that's why he entices you with pious talk not to do that which is right before God, but little things. He entices you to think that it isn't all that important to go to church regularly. He entices you to think that reformed education isn't really that important. He will whisper in your ears and that it doesn't really matter so much what church you belong to. Go where you like. Do what suits you. He entices you to lie a little bit here and there and tell you it's not really that harmful. He wants you to think that a little dishonesty here and there is not such a big deal. And he piously whispers in your ear that to be involved actively in church life isn't all that important. After all, look at the people of the church. Look at what's wrong with them all. Do I really want to associate with them? And why be involved? After all, I've got better things to do with my time, and so I can go on and on. But you get the picture, brothers and sisters. The devil wants you to follow your own desires, to serve your own selfish mo motives. He wants you to keep on fooling yourself, and he is very subtle. And that is why, brothers and sisters, be careful how you conduct yourself. Be careful with the words that come out of your mouth. Be careful when you criticize. Examine yourself at all times whether the things you do or say can stand the test of the word of God. For there is a younger generation listening and watching. And they hear everything you say and they see everything you do, and they see what kind of attitude you have towards God and his church and his people, and they're great imitators. Let me ask you about something. How do you think that we're doing here as Emmanuel Canadian Reformed Church? Is the Lord God going to bless us in the generations, or are we starting to slip a little? If so, where? Think about it. And now don't think about where everybody else is going wrong, about how the office bearers are not on top of things enough, or how this or that family shows us disobedience through the generations. No, let's think about ourselves. In what way am I being a poor example? In what way am I backsliding. Talk to your wife, to your husband, to your parents, to your friends. Put that question to them. The great punishment for Judah was not the exile. That was merely a warning. 
The great punishment was that God removed his blessings from the generations. He broke off the old branches of the vine and he grafted in new ones. And the same thing Paul warns in Romans can happen to us if we do not heed these warnings. God can take it all away from us. And that's why we cannot become complacent. We must examine ourselves every step of the way. The Lord does not just warn the older generation. He also warns the the younger generation. He warns the children. He warns you, young people. Jeremiah also had to point out their sin to them. He says that they are to be warned because they have behaved more wickedly than their fathers. He says to them, see how each of you is following the stubbornness of his evil heart instead of obeying me. The children during Jeremiah's days did even worse than their fathers. Isn't that usually the way it goes? From bad to worse. The generation which Jeremiah is speaking to even went so far as to sacrifice their children to foreign gods. You can read about that in chapter 30, verse 7 and following. What an abomination. Again, that's not something we would do in our time. But the people of Judah were doing only that which the world around them was doing as well. For they too thought that in this way they could appease the gods. Let me ask you young people, in what way are you conforming to the world? Thankfully, you're all here in this church building this morning. And that's a good thing. You are doing many things well. But still, God wants you to examine yourself as well. Think about it. Think about your future. In what way are you appeasing the gods of this world? Are you going along with the fads of this modern society? I'm not saying that you can't use their gadgets, etc., but be careful. Are you falling prey to the empty philosophies of the world? What do you do to protect yourself from evil influences? For example, what kind of music are you listening to? What kinds of movies are you watching? What are you doing with your iPod? How do you communicate with your friends? For don't think that you don't have a personal responsibility here. You cannot say to God, Lord, I couldn't really help myself. My parents were such a poor example, and the church didn't warn me either. No, God holds each and every one of us responsible for our own actions. For it is not so that the Lord punishes you for the sins of the previous generation. Some people during Jeremiah's day thought that. They even had a saying about that. The people complained that they were sent into exile because of the sins of the father. So they said, as we can read in Jeremiah 31, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, the teeth of the children have become dull because the fathers ate sour grapes. 
nothing doing, says the Lord God. I will hold each generation responsible for their own sins. They are held responsible for following the bad examples of the parents and for, doing, for doing even worse than they did. It is not our nature to want to take responsibility. We usually think, well, what have I done wrong? What am I doing wrong? I didn't really do anything. That was the case during the days of Jeremiah. They said, what is the sin that we have committed against God? What's our iniquity? Well, the Lord God had been telling them a long time, but they weren't listening. And he is telling them now again through the prophet Jeremiah. And he also told them through other prophets, such as Isaiah, for example. Isaiah had been dead for only 60 years at this time. And now the same thing goes for you today. The Lord meant this for the church of today as well. And the Lord is warning you again this morning not to start backsliding, not to fall into deformation, and to think about the riches that God gives to you through the generations. The riches of the forgiveness of sins through your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a joy! For you may think that the message this morning is quite a gloomy one, Nothing but warning and warning. But actually, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, it is pure gospel. For in warning us, God shows us that he loves us. He doesn't want us to throw away that which he has given us, namely his wonderful blessings, which he has acquired for us through the cross of Christ. And he says to you again, I love you. And I love your children as well, and your grandchildren. And he says to us, I have entrusted them to you to teach them. Please take good care, not just of their physical needs. That's not all that hard, but especially of their spiritual needs. For they are so easily led astray if you are disobedient yourself. And if the children see that you do not want to serve me with all your heart and mind and soul, then in spite of the mistakes that you are bound to make, I will forgive you. And I will bless you in the generations. That is what the Lord promises to you and to me. Let's be faithful. Let's do the will of the Lord not our own will, for only God's will in our lives leads to eternal life. Amen.